0: Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Thursday, February 20th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next hour or so us go over all kinds of things in the world of sports from a betting focus. Happy to have you with me here on what is a very, very busy day for me. Our Major League Baseball season win total betting guide starting to get posted over at bangthebook.com. All 15 American League team previews are posted along with the National League East, Then I had to stop, do the show here, and I'll finish posting the other 10 this afternoon over at bangthebook.com. But very excited about that. A labor of love. I put a lot of hard work into that. So I would greatly appreciate it if you read it, shared it, passed it along. We'll have a full PDF coming on Friday. We'll have it posted to Amazon next week as well. So lots of stuff going on over at bangthebook.com with my MLB betting guide. And in fact, I'm going to start off this edition of the program with a new segment of the Better's Box, my MLB betting podcast. A lot of you have signed up for the mailing list for the notes. I greatly appreciate that. Adam at bangthebook.com in order to do that. Uh, if you want to get on the list for the notes, a lot of the stuff I talk about here in the preseason lead up will be in that MLB betting guide, will be in some of my other preseason baseball content over at the website. But very happy to have that guide going up. Like I said, PDF coming on Friday amazon next week and some other exciting stuff coming up here in the not too distant future in the second part of today's show i'll chat some basketball with john ryan at john ryan sports and the number one on twitter regular contributor to BangTheBook.com with three different articles an nba buy and sell a look at the big east a look at the big 10 a week-long look for both of those conferences and in fact we're actually going to talk about those concepts and topics here on today's show with an nba buy and sell coming out of the all-star break and also previews of those two conferences. Aside from my MLB guide over at bangthebook.com, we still have a lot more stuff. We got daily NHL from Parker Michaels. NBA picks are back from Chris Wassel after the All-Star break. We've got NBA power ratings from Noops. We've got additional NBA content on the daily, as well as college basketball content. I even found the time somehow this morning to write up a preview of Vermont and Stony Brook, but we got a lot of daily college basketball content From Alan Moody as well. My three weekly situational articles. I got a UFC preview up for you. Got a NASCAR preview for the Pennzoil 400. Tons of stuff going on over at bangthebook.com. Make sure you check it all out. Finally, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook. BTB and the number 200 is that promo code. 100% deposit match bonus for the Sportsbook. 100% 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. Once again, that betting guide over at bangthebook.com. I got to pick on every team, stats, data, lots of research, fantasy impacts for certain players. And I'll also be doing player and team future stuff, which will be going up here on Thursday at bangthebook.com. will be added to that PDF betting guide. And also, too, I know I use a lot of advanced metrics and maybe some statistics that you're not familiar with. I do have a glossary that goes in that betting guide as well that will also be updated over at bangthebook.com. I've got to add some new stuff to it that I've been using here of late, but that article will be updated at bangthebook.com as well as in the MLB betting guide. So definitely looking forward to finally releasing the full thing here on Friday in that PDF, but you can find all the individual components over at bangthebook.com here uh, by the end of tonight. All right, so like I said, I'm going to be doing the betters box here, and I'm going to start something new here. I'm going to do a segment over the next six editions of the betters box called Five and Fly. I'm going to do each six divisions, each of the six divisions. I'm going to do five minutes on each team. So that's why it's called Five and Fly. In fact, I'm actually sitting here. With my phone, going to time this to get to as close to five minutes as possible. But the AL East will be today. The AL Central next Monday on February 24th. The AL West next Thursday on February 27th. NL East will be March 2nd. NL Central March 5th. NL West will be March 9th. So I'm going to go through all six divisions here over the next six editions of the Betters Box in this Five and Fly segment. Like I said, going to be timing these on my phone to get as close to five minutes as possible so go ahead and start here with the Baltimore Orioles their season win total 56 and a half for the upcoming year and as I wrote about in my guide a major buy-in with Sabre Metrics for the Baltimore Orioles they bring in kind of a new school manager type guy in Brandon Hyde they brought in Mike Elias they brought in Sig Meg or uh, Sej Megdahl who you know Megdahl is the guy that uh Sig Megdahl excuse me is a guy that has one of those Ivy League educations. He's very, very well-versed in analytics. Baltimore is going all in with this. And as a general rule, I like to believe in teams that are going the analytics route that are making some changes. Last year, Baltimore 54 and 108, but their Pythagorean win loss was 60 and 102. Their base runs 59 and 103. And their third order win percentage, which is a win-loss record based on strength of schedule some of the underlying metrics that are over at baseball prospectus also had them more like a 59 and 103 team so the advanced metrics paint a little bit of a brighter picture here for the baltimore orioles going into this season last year they were only 11 and 22 in one run games that was the fewest number of one run wins in major league baseball so i like to think of this baltimore team will show some improvement here this season and obviously their season win total line up three games up two and a half games from where they finished last year I think there's a chance that this team does go over the total this is just a lean a very small lean for me but last year they were a better team in the second half they were something of a positive regression candidate in the bullpen and that did improve a little bit in the second half but I certainly expect that to improve here going into this upcoming season now, for Baltimore, you've got a key guy in Trey Mancini. Hit 35 home runs last year. Very, very good contact quality. Ran a fairly high 326 batting average on balls in play for a guy that saw a home run increase up to 35. But again, the exit velocity and the contact metrics do, do um, support the fact that this is a guy that could wind up posting a higher BABIP and also sustaining that higher level of power from last season. The problem is that there's a chance that the Orioles do trade Trey Mancini. Now, I think you try to build around a guy like that because even though he's not a great outfielder necessarily, he's got some pretty good offensive metrics. And this is a team that just doesn't have a lot of very good offensive players and, in fact, lost one of their better ones last year, uh, Jonathan VR. So now you kind of look at this team and, and, you know, you sort of wonder where they're going to end up long term because they don't have a great minor league system. So maybe a guy like Mancini gets dealt with, you know, some ample time left on his contract in order to help out this minor league system. Now on the pitching side, John Means had a really bad second half. He's also a regression candidate, 360 ERA, 441 FIP, 548 XFIP. Again, like I've talked about in previous segments, a guy with a lower ERA and a higher FIP and a higher XFIP generally viewed as a regression candidate. But the thing about Means is that He's very, very good at inducing weak contact. And this is something that FIP and XFIP can't really account for. Because again, as I mentioned on last week's show, FIP and XFIP, strikeouts, home runs, hit by pitches, and walks. Well, when you talk about a guy that's got really good contact quality metrics, he's not going to get hurt as badly because he's got good command. He's able to stay out of those nitro zone hitting areas where guys barrel up a lot of baseballs. So for a guy like Means, I think regression will be coming, but I don't think it will be to the degree of regressing to his FIP or his xFIP. 360 ERA last year, 441 FIP. I probably peg Means somewhere in the 385 to 390 range from an ERA standpoint, maybe as high as 4.00. Not going to be a guy that completely craters, but Now you don't have Dylan Bundy. You got some more question marks here in this starting rotation. So I think for the Orioles, again, I'm not expecting a massive upgrade or anything like that, but because they played better in the second half, because these analytically savvy teams generally make little improvements at the margins, guys will throw their better pitches more often, guys will locate a little bit differently. The plan of attack will be different. I do think that Baltimore here for the upcoming season does look like a little bit of an improved team. So I'm leaning over 56 and a half here with the Orioles, not a strong play by any means, but I do think that this is a team that will be a little bit better here for the upcoming season. The Boston Red Sox here, 84 and a half is their season win total. And obviously with a team like Boston, the optics of the offseason just do not look very good at all. Whatsoever. You get the Mookie Betts trade, you get owner John Henry crying poor you get the team taking Eduardo Rodriguez to arbitration over a pretty paltry sum of money. And I understand that Eduardo Rodriguez is a guy that's been hurt. And obviously there's some increased injury risk there with that, but that's obviously a case where you're not looking to sign that guy long term and taking a player to arbitration like that over a few hundred thousand dollars is a suggestion to them that you're not interested long term. And I always worry about those situations a little bit because Now, if you're Eduardo Rodriguez, a guy that has had, by and large, a chronic knee injury, let's say that flares back up. Let's say that pops back up. In the interest of body preservation, are you going to go out there and bust your ass for this Red Sox team that took you to arbitration, that talked negatively about your performance to try and support the side that they were on with a lower salary? Are you really going to go out there and bust your ass for a team like that? Probably not. So that worries me a little bit about Eduardo Rodriguez here, not to say anything about his character, but you know, self-preservation is an important thing when as a pitcher in Major League Baseball, you might get one big free agent contract. So for Rodriguez here, if that knee issue flares up a little bit more or a back or a neck, something like that, which he's also had some issues with sporadically here throughout his career, I don't know if he's going to push through those things as much as somebody in a different situation might. And again, not an indication of anything character or anything like that but when you start looking at this Red Sox team Chris Sale is a huge bounce back candidate 440 ERA last year 339 FIP 293 XFIP elite strikeout red walk rates once again his career left on base percentage 77.4 percent but last season for Sale it dropped to 66.7 percent Massive increase in home run per fly ball percentage. Chris Sale is a bounce back guy in a big way, getting back to an elite level as long as he's healthy. So he's going to be good. Eduardo Rodriguez, when he's out there, is going to be good and finally pitched over 200 innings last year for the first time in his career. The problem is that Boston has to replace 335 and a third innings from David Price, Rick Porcello, and Andrew Kashner. Now, Porcello wasn't good last year, and that was a guy that I highlighted coming into the season as a guy that I didn't really like a whole lot. Kashner, not a guy that I'm always high on. Price was pretty good when he was out there. But there's a very big gap between average performance as a starting pitcher and below average numbers. And I think Boston could really fall victim to this here with the back part of their rotation if a guy like Nate Yavaldi doesn't get better. So this is a very precarious situation for Boston here where they do have an elite upside guy in sale and a very good upside guy in Rodriguez, but both of those guys have injury concerns and considerations. Uvalde, another guy that's been hurt. Boston's rotation could be very, very bad for this upcoming season. Now, fortunately, even though they lose Mookie Betts, they still have a very good offense. They still have Rafael Devers, who hit 32 home runs from May 1st on. And in fact, Devers actually posted a a weighted on base average very similar to that of J.D. Martinez from May through the end of the regular season. Martinez was 386 for the year. Devers was 385 after a slow start in the month of April. So Martinez, Devers, very good offensive players. Xander Bogarts coming off of a career offensive season. Alex Verdugo is a guy I like quite a bit as long as he's healthy. Andrew Benintendi is a bounce back candidate. You got a guy with big time power in Michael Chavis. You've got some offensive pieces here for Boston. I think they can outscore the opposition to still win a lot of games. The bullpen is decent. I think the bullpen is a little bit of a regression candidate, but there are a lot of worries here as you start narrowing down the Red Sox and all of them are on the pitching side. So offensively, they're going to be very good again, but the pitching staff, you know, the ceiling may be defined by what the guys after sale and Rodriguez are able to do. Because I think sales going to be great. I think Rodriguez will be very good. What about those other guys? What about the bullpen with guys like Brandon Workman, who I think is a regression candidate going into this season? Maybe a guy like Matt Barnes could be a regression candidate as well. So I think the Red Sox have a lot of question marks, a lot of concerns. Their season win total 83 and a half here. And I do lean towards the under. Now, it's not a strong play at all, but that is my lean there with the Boston Red Sox. The New York Yankees, their season win total, 101.5. Massive season win total here. Second highest in Major League Baseball, trailing only the Los Angeles Dodgers in a lot of places. And I'll say this, you know, last year the Yankees won 103 games, but there are some mild concerns here. Their Pythagorean win loss was 99 and 63. Their base runs record, 94 and 68. And their third order win percentage, they were a 95.5 and 65.5 type of team. The Rays actually had a better record than the Yankees, according to base runs and third order win percentage. So why was that the case? Why did the Yankees overachieve so much relative to some of those alternate standings metrics? Well, I've talked about that concept before of cluster luck. What cluster luck basically means is that, you know, maybe you're not a very good offense with the bases empty, but you're great with runners in scoring position or great with men on base, or maybe on the flip side, you have negative cluster luck where you're very good with the bases empty, but you just can't cash in in those run scoring opportunities with men in scoring position that is the concept of cluster luck and it works both offensively and on the pitching side the yankees with the bases empty last year with nobody on base hit 249 with a 329 on base percentage and a 469 slugging percentage with men on base the yankees batted 293 with a 364 on base percentage and a 518 slugging percentage. So they were about 45 points higher in batting average. They were about 35 points higher in slugging percentage, and about or on base percentage, excuse me, and about 50 points higher in slugging percentage. So when you look at base runs, which again is that context-neutral environment, base runs has no idea if guys were on base or if they weren't. So that's how the Yankees wound up overachieving by nine games from a base run standpoint, is that a lot of their really positive offensive outcomes came with men on base. Is that sustainable? Well, I don't know. Because you've got a Yankees team that has one of the best offenses in baseball. 15 players last year posted a weighted runs created plus, a WRC plus, of 100 or better. And the league average, if you're a league average hitter, based on WRC plus, you have a 100 mark. 15 guys were above that last year for the Yankees 12 of them are still around one of them is Aaron Hicks we'll see what happens with him uh, coming off of Tommy John surgery but this is a team that got that missed a lot of time with Aaron Judge a team that missed a lot of time with Giancarlo Stanton so this is a team to me where I think their numbers with men on base do regress a little bit but I think their numbers with bases empty get better so what happens is Maybe the Yankees aren't as successful with men on base, but they're going to have more opportunities with men on base. So I think to a degree, that kind of cancels out a little bit of that cluster luck going into this season. The Yankees' run differential was plus 204. Their base runs run differential plus 134. So that difference of 70 runs right there illustrates just how much cluster luck they had last season. But again, I think they have more opportunities to score runs this year with a better slash line with the bases empty. So that may offset things a little bit. But on the pitching side here, you know, James Paxton already out, as we've talked about before. Domingo Herman out for the first half of the season because he's suspended. But they get Garrett Cole and they get Luis Severino back. So they're just going to replace the innings lost by Paxton and Herman with hopefully full seasons of Garrett Cole and Luis Severino. They've got good depth at the back end of the rotation with guys that I think can be successful. The bullpen is elite. It's among the best in baseball. I do think that when you look at Garrett Cole, I think his numbers will drop off a little bit. Minute Maid Park tailored more towards defense, tailored more towards pitching. Wasn't a great park factor, even with how good Houston was offensively. We know Yankee Stadium, an elite park for hitters. So I do think Garrett Cole's numbers do regress a little bit, but the high strikeout percentage will help. The offense will help. The elite bullpen will help. It'll help him in terms of stranding runners, things of that sort. So the Yankees over 101.5 is what I would look at here, but this one is also not a bet. This is a lean. This is a pick for the guide and for the segment, but I think in a lot of cases, the Yankees are going to be a very, very good team this season. And it definitely have the talent level to win about 105 games. We move on to the Tampa Bay Rays here. Their season win total 90 and a half. Like I said, you know, last year they were a 96 and 66 team, but they won the AL East relative to base runs, won the AL East relative to third order win percentage. And a lot of people are going to say, well, who gives a shit? You know, the actual results are what really matters. Yes, but you use these alternate standings metrics to try and find positive and negative regression the Tampa Bay Rays numbers don't suggest either to me but what they do suggest is that their performance last season was 100% legitimate they were 96 and 66 their season win total this year of 90 and a half implies that they won't be as good but their base runs and third order win percentage marks were higher than 96 wins So I don't know how we're expected to see regression from this team in a negative way. This is an elite pitching staff. They were third in ERA last year, first in FIP, third in XFIP, second in strikeout percentage, third in walk percentage, and here's the caveat. They got less than 170 innings from Blake Snell and Tyler now combined. Blake Snell, the reigning Cy Young MVP from 2018, uh, he only threw about 104 innings or so, I believe, 103 innings, something like that. Tyler Glasnow only threw about 65 innings, and he was on a breakout pace. Tyler Glasnow was a guy It's very interesting because I talked about this last season on the Betters Box that his new pitching coach in Tampa Bay, Kyle Snyder, is six foot seven or six foot eight. Tyler Glasnow was also six foot seven, and One of the things that's really difficult to do is understand literally the view from where Glassnow is coming from. You know, you can see it on film or something like that and try to help the guy out, but Snyder can literally see from that perspective. Glassnow's raw stuff is elite. The fastball velocity is good. The spin rates are good. Um, You know, the late action on his off-speed stuff is very, very good. And obviously, he can change eye levels a lot being as tall as he is. But it's very hard, even with a pitching coach as good as Ray Seridge in Pittsburgh was, to really maximize a guy like that skill set because you can't see where he's coming from. Snyder can. Snell and Glass now throwing 300-plus innings for this team on top of what they had last year. I think this could very well be the best pitching staff in Major League Baseball this season. And they have an elite bullpen to boot. Now with that, You're going to have an elite pitching staff, like I said, possibly the best in baseball. What about the offense? I think this offense is very, very interesting. For one thing, they've got a lot of good players. They've got a couple of great players offensively, with a guy like Austin Meadows primarily, but they've got a lot of good players offensively. And I've talked about this before, but teams that have a lot of average or better players have a massive impact or have a massive advantage over a lot of other teams, because they're putting out negative players. And the guys that didn't hit offensively for Tampa Bay, like a Mike Zanino, like a Kevin Kiermeyer, graded very well defensively. Manny Margot is another player that doesn't grade super well offensively, but he's an elite outfielder. So you've got Margot, you've got Kiermeyer, you've got a pretty good defensive team overall. That'll help this pitching staff. But the other guys in the lineup are very versatile. They're good hitters. And they've got good skill sets that really complement what the Rays are trying to do. Now I will say this at home, the Rays only scored 4.52 runs per game on the road. They scored almost five runs per game. They were 22nd in home runs hit at home last season. They were 12th in home runs hit on the road. Tropicana field is a graveyard for fly balls. So when they're at home, their pitching staff plays up when they're on the road, Their offense is pretty competent. It's pretty average or maybe a little bit better than that. This team is like a chameleon. They can win high-scoring games if they need to. They can win a lot of close games because they're going to have the better bullpen in just about all of the games that they play this season. Austin Meadows en route to being a star. They've got a good lineup. They've got a great pitching staff. This is my favorite season win total in the American League East. Already bet the Rays over. I found an 89 heavily juiced. But over 90 and a half is what I really like here with the Tampa Bay Rays, who I think are a very, very good team, an underrated and underappreciated team. They could give the Yankees a run for their money for the division. But I do think Tampa Bay ultimately winds up hosting the wildcard game here for this season. One more team in the American League East. That is the Toronto Blue Jays. Their season win total 75 and a half here last year, 67 and 95. 71 and 91 in terms of Pythagorean win loss, 70 and 92 in terms of base runs. But the Blue Jays in the second half played at a 75 win clip. If you extrapolate their win percentage in the second half out to 162 games, you get 75.33 wins, which is exactly where this season win total line is sitting. Vladimir Guerrero, Bo Bichette, Kevin Biggio, those guys really took hold. And they played better. There was more excitement about this Toronto Blue Jays team. They've also got younger guys like Lourdes Gurriel. They've got a better catching tandem here with Danny Jansen and Reese McGuire. Randall Grichuk is not that old of a player. Teoscar Hernandez hits the ball violently hard. They've got a lot of good pieces in this offense, in this lineup. The core group graduating from the minors created a buzz. You know, this is a team where attendance has been falling They kind of started to feel a little bit better about themselves once they got to the second half, but something that they badly needed to do was upgrade the rotation, and they did that. They pick up Hunjin Ryu. They pick up Chase Anderson. They pick up Tanner Roark. Are these guys going to be great? I don't know. Ryu or Hunjin Ryu could be very good. I like Tanner Roark. I think Tanner Roark is an underappreciated type of guy. He's an average type of starter, but a pretty durable dude, a guy that I think you know, sometimes his raw stuff can play up a little bit. Chase Anderson coming from that pitching factory of the Milwaukee Brewers. I kind of like that as well. They've got competent major league pitchers in the rotation now. And I wrote about this in my season win total that, you know, maybe a guy like Ryu cancels out with a guy like Stroman. But when you look at the guys that Anderson and Roark are going to be replacing, it's a big upgrade to go from average to whatever the hell that was last season for the Blue Jays. At the back end of their rotation. So, some very big upgrades. I still love Trent Thornton. There are guys around the league that I really, really like for one reason or another that I just can't quit. If Trent Thornton starts for the Blue Jays this year, I'm going to lose money on this guy. I know I'm going to, but he has elite spin rates on the fastball, the curveball, and the slider. Um, in fact, his slider was one of the best in baseball, it was the second highest spin rate in baseball. And there's a high correlation between spin rates and success because pitches move more they've got tighter spin they don't flatten out as much you stay off the barrel high spin rates are very very important for a lot of guys out there i think trent thornton could be one of those guys that could harness that potential and maybe they put him in the bullpen and if they do i think he has the upside to be an elite level reliever and that could help a bullpen that i think is a little bit of a problem area here for this team but again you get those young guys coming up in the lineup You get that core group graduating from the minors, but they've got some pitching coming too, including a guy like Nate Pearson, one of the top pitching prospects in the minor leagues. He'll probably show up here around the middle of the season. The Blue Jays to me are a streaky lineup and a team that will pummel guys that don't pitch well and don't have good command. But I also think that when they step up in class and face better pitchers and better pitching staffs, it could be ugly. So the Blue Jays, I think, are a very high-variance team, not just from a season-win total standpoint, not just for the full season, but on a game-by-game level as well. Because you've got this young lineup. You've got this group of guys learning on the fly. You've got this pitching staff where Ryu's park factor changes a lot, going from Dodger Stadium to Rogers Center, and, of course, the road ballparks of Yankee Stadium and Fenway Park. Reuse a guy that I think could be kind of hit or miss. Roark and Anderson, same thing, where those are average guys because sometimes they're good, sometimes they're not so good. I think Toronto is a very high-variance team on a full-season level, on a game-by-game level, but I'm leaning towards betting the over here. Now, I'm not going to do it as early as I bet some of the other overs, like Tampa Bay, like another over that I played with the Cincinnati Reds. I want to see this team stay healthy through spring training because there's not great depth. With this team I want to see this pitching staff stay healthy, but I think this team can make a big leap. I think this team can be a whole lot better, a lot more exciting, a lot more talent. That infusion of talent is a big deal here for Toronto. So, I am leaning towards betting the over 75 and a half. I like it, but I want to see this team get through spring training healthy. Not too bad there. 25 minutes and 4 seconds across the five teams kind of give and take a little bit with that five and fly segment, but once again, We'll talk the American League Central Division here coming up on Monday's edition of the Better's Box. A few things real quickly here before we transition over to the college basketball and NBA segment with John Ryan. A few injury updates here. A very bad one for the Indians. Carlos Carrasco hobbling around on crutches. We'll find out more tomorrow about his situation. Hopefully I'll have that insight, uh, you know, and have some of that information for you here when I do talk about the AL Central on the show. But this is bad. You know, you got Mike Clevenger already probably missing a handful of starts in April. Now we'll see what the prognosis is for Carrasco. And the Indians didn't get much from Carrasco last year. He didn't pitch well early on in the year. Then the leukemia diagnosis, then came back and pitched in relief in September. You know, so maybe this isn't the kiss of death for the Indians for this season with Carrasco now hurt. But this is a team that does not have a lot of margin for error. It was very, very thin. Now you've got cluster injuries at starting pitcher. And the starting rotation was the strength of this team. This is very worrisome. Obviously, a development to watch very closely. And this is why it is tough to bet some of those season win total overs. Because as you start to get these cluster injuries, it really lowers the ceiling for a team. I The Indians ceiling is probably 92 or 93 wins. Maybe it's down to 90 or so with the pitching injuries. I still lean towards the over with them. But these are bad things. These are very bad things for a team before spring training games even get underway speaking of the central division here no restrictions for ed alberto mondesi for the kansas city royals he's an electric player he's a low on base percentage guy but speed for days got a little bit of power the royals are an interesting lineup this is an interesting guy good to see no restrictions for him and obviously you want to follow along with this too guys that get hurt are a problem but guys coming off of major injuries major surgeries You want to make sure that they're on the right path to be ready for opening day. And it looks like Mondesi is here at this point in time. A couple more injury notes here. Sean Murphy for the A's. Keep an eye on this one. Sean Murphy, a very highly touted catching prospect, had a knee procedure. He's off to a bit of a slow start here in the Cactus League. He's said to be fine, but we know he's a catcher. We know catchers and legs, very important for them. So keep an eye on that one as spring training goes along. Maybe it won't be an issue. Maybe he'll be fully healed, but watch out for that here with the A's, who will be relying on him quite a bit once the season gets underway. Going back to the Central Division here, Tigers pitching prospect Joey Wentz with a forearm issue. Forearm issues are always bad news. They're going to shut him down for 10 days. He was probably going to be a call-up late in the season. The Tigers' rotation could look a lot better in the second half, as I'll talk about on that segment on Monday. But Wentz with an early forearm issue here, very, very concerning, to say the least. Speaking of injured guys, Alex Reyes for the Cardinals is being stretched out and prepped as a starter here in spring training. Now, Miles Mikolas is out, flexor tendon injury. Reyes could help the Cardinals. I still bet their season win total under. That's a win total I'll post this afternoon over at bangthebook.com. But stretching Reyes out as a starter does make a lot of sense. It's a good idea for them. But obviously, we'll see how long he's able to stay together. Finally, one more note here, and I'll have a lineup construction rant or two once we get to the regular season, but Chris Bryant expected to bat leadoff here for the Chicago Cubs. I would prefer Anthony Rizzo, higher on base percentage, lower strikeout rate. Not a big deal either way, but again, one of those interesting little fantasy tidbits. And it does show that, you know, David Ross going to be doing some maybe more creative things with the lineup than what we saw previously with Joe Madden. So something for you to keep in mind there regarding the Chicago Cubs. Once again, I'll be back with the Better's Box on Monday, taking a look at the AL Central with that, fly, with that five and fly segment. And of course, some updates on any sorts of injury things along the way. We got one more guest, one more segment here for this Thursday edition of Bang the Book Radio. That is with John Ryan at John Ryan Sports and the number one regular contributor to bangthebook.com. John, how's it going today, man?
1: I'm doing well, Adam. How about you?
0: My brain is fried, man. I'll tell you what, I'm going to be very happy to have this MLB guide uh, in the rearview mirror here. But, you know, once again, that labor of love, I guess, uh, you know, things that you enjoy doing are, are worth taking the time to do. And something you enjoy doing here, a lot of handicapping of basketball. So that's what we're going to talk about in today's segment. And, uh, you know, the focus has by and large been on college basketball for the last week. But now the NBA returns tonight. So we're back to handicapping that market
1: yeah yeah we are. um Your major league baseball publication has to be one of the best out there, if not the best. So I just wanted to kind of plug that a little bit for you here because your work ethic has been amazing, and the value and the and the contribution you make um, in terms of information for people to get a hold of is you'd be nuts not to get the publication, period.
0: Well, I really appreciate that. And again, that full PDF will be up on Friday over at bangthebook.com and hoping to have that on Amazon here for next week. But John, like I said, we're coming off the all-star break now. So these teams all kind of on equal footing from a situational spot standpoint, you know, all just sort of trying to get back into the rhythms of the season. How do you kind of approach that with the teams coming back off of that long hiatus?
1: Well, there's there's a, a couple trends that are quite interesting. Um, you would think that, uh, teams that have been limping into the all-star break would then come out with a little bit more of a purpose, uh, but it's not the case. In fact, um, teams that are on a a uh, losing streak of, of four games or more uh, going into the all-star break, uh, they're five and 10 against the spread in the first game coming out of it. So that would put the... Uh, the Bulls who are playing the Hornets, and these would be all bet against. So you bet against the Bulls when they play the Hornets, and they're all tonight. Uh, Pistons when they take on the Bucks, and the Warriors when they take on the Rockets. What's also interesting in these matchups is you have uh, good teams playing bad teams in, in two of them. Hornets and Bulls are. You know, that that's pretty much even on any given day. But the fact that the Pistons are playing the Bucks, who are the best team in the NBA by far, and then the Rockets uh, playing the Warriors, who are basically playing the season out, I find that pretty interesting as well. Um, so I really I like the Rockets and the Bucks quite a bit tonight to come out of the shoot with a purpose, which is opposite of what you would think with a, a team that lost going into the break.
0: It is the opposite of what I would think. You know, that's something that we kind of talked about on yesterday's segment with Brian Leonard, where, you know, I kind of like to fade teams that were playing really hot going into the break because everything was going well. You don't want to stop playing, but then you have to. And for teams that go in, you know, to the all-star break on a losing streak, they do get a chance to wipe the slate clean, do get the opportunity to kind of refine themselves a little bit. Obviously, the difference is, you know, if you've got a team that was playing really bad and is a really bad team it is hard to expect anything different because they're not really going to want to come back to playing. Whereas if you have a playoff caliber team that was kind of struggling a little bit, maybe that's kind of more of a play-on type of scenario.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you're right on with that. Um, teams, too, that were not in the playoffs last year uh, that are you know, back-to-back at least losing record seasons, uh, they tend to underperform even more uh, over the next several weeks after the All-Star break. And I think you know the uh, I guess the mantra, even though they're professionals, and they take one day at a time and and, and try to do their best on every given, any given day, um, you know when you are coming off a losing season and then you're at the all-star break and you're ten games under five hundred, there's not much motivation there to um, to try to recover and make the playoffs. Whereas if you have a team that was uh, a playoff team for at least the previous year. And they're right at 500 and they have a shot at getting in. Those are the teams I think that historically have done well, both straight up and against the spread.
0: So with that in mind, I mean, is is that kind of, you know, your buy and sell portfolio this week? Sort of trying to look at, you know, maybe more the motivation levels of teams or just kind of looking, you know, historically how teams in certain situations have done coming out of the break? Or are there other teams that you kind of have on your buy and sell radar?
1: Uh, there's there's more teams. Uh, Adam, uh, it seems like I'm always on the 76ers bandwagon, but the the game against the Clippers that closed out their uh, the, the last game before the All Star break, that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen a Sixers team put in in God knows when. Uh, they they got Embiid down the paint, and yeah, you know, they taught the taught him the difference between the paint and the three point line, tongue in cheek, uh, and it worked so incredibly well and the chemistry of the whole entire team was amazing and the the tone of that game was almost like a, a game six or game seven in the playoffs it, w- it was amazing to watch just on tv so i th- i think that's going to carry over um i thought it was hysterical in the all-star game uh when they started the second uh period or the second stanza um uh, and and simmons jumped for the ball and simmons actually out jumped them um and then down the stretch, too, you know, Simmons was bringing the defense, and I don't think he knows how to play any, any differently than what he does, whether it's an all-star game or whether it's a game against the Boston Celtics. It's, he just brings the, the load every single night. Um, and I don't know if you saw the video clip that kind of went viral with Simmons. It was before the Clippers game, and a fan had recorded Simmons practicing three-point shooting. He made eight in a row— and the, the shot was so soft, I can't even begin to tell you. It was, it was, I don't it was like it was almost photoshopped. And uh, you had a doubt in your mind whether it was even him, uh, but it was definitely him. And since the beginning of the year, he's making over 82% of his free throw attempts, which is, uh, I mean, how do you compare it to shooting 55%? Um, It's amazing to see his progress. And it seems like they're just working one step at a time. And it's just a matter of games until we'll start seeing him launching threes. And if he starts making threes, the way he's able to go to the rim, um, I think we have the next superstar right there.
0: So you're still looking at the Sixers as kind of a buy team here. Anybody that you're looking to sell right now coming out of the break?
1: I think the Raptors actually in in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I still have a lot of question marks about them. Uh, they're 40 and 15 they, they've done extraordinarily well uh, but their uh, point differential for example is six point three which is healthy it's one of the better in the in the league but it's not 12 point one like the bucks which is a historic uh, number uh, no other team has ever done that uh, but I do think uh, Toronto came into the break on a nine and one win streak um, Boston Celtics too I think I'd be a little cautious on Um and again not to, you know, keep talking about the Sixers, but the Sixers lost uh, six of the last seven against the spread coming into uh, the break. So that, you know, you're getting a an opportunity now where the you know, the public was betting the Sixers and they lost. So now they're going to throw them out the window and not bet them and that's where you really get the the opportunity. Conversely with with Boston and Toronto coming in hot, um, the public's going to be is going to be on them and I Think the lines will get a little bit inflated, and that gives you a chance to play the other side. In the Western Conference, um, there's none that stand out as much as those teams in the East that we just talked about. Um, Memphis is the eighth seed right now. Uh, two games over five hundred. You know, a lot of little, a lot of questions there too. Uh, they actually have a negative one point four uh, scoring differential. Uh, they did win their last two games coming into the break. Um, and are eight and two last 10. Um, so that would be more of a, a team that I would look to sell in the next, uh, the games coming up over the next week.
0: All right. So let's transition over to the college basketball side of things here. And you do write some week long outlooks for us over at bangthebook.com about the Big Ten Conference as well as the Big East Conference. So we've got a couple of Big Ten games tonight to discuss. And in fact, you and I were kind of discussing one of these teams a little bit before we started recording here. Ohio State and Iowa. And we talk about buy and sell, and it sounded to me through that discussion we were having that maybe you're looking to buy on the Ohio State Buckeyes a little bit, who are plus two and a half tonight in Iowa City.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is a, this is a team that was uh, ranked number three back in December um, and then went through a, a really, really bad stretch. Somehow they, they've managed to claw their way back to a 7-7 seven and seven conference record. Uh, they're ranked 25th and sit in, I believe it's ninth place in the conference, if you can believe that. Uh, the Big Ten still remains the best conference by far in the nation, um, with Maryland at 12 and three, they're ranked number seven, uh, Penn State 10 and five, and Iowa number 20 at nine and six. So the fact that Ohio State is walking into Iowa, and I I believe I saw the line, Adam, at um, Ohio State was minus two and a half, I think.
0: Plus two
1: and a half. Uh, Plus two and a half. The fact that it's within three points on either side, I think, is telling you uh, the story right away. Uh, Usually in the Big Ten, not usually, it's been very difficult to win on the road in the Big Ten. Uh, Recently, more road teams have won, but a lot of those road teams are the better teams in the conference with the better record, such as Penn State. Uh, who walked into Ohio State and defeated them, and Michigan State, uh, so that's made the the road records improve. Uh, that the better teams are on the road, uh, but I I wouldn't want to have um, you know the guys that are at the top of the, the stands. I wouldn't want to look in the rearview mirror and see Ohio State getting their act together and climbing up the the ladder because uh, they they look like they're about to go on a mission, or maybe they've already started it. So I, I really, um, you know, looking at my machine learning tools, too, I've already ran that this morning. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State won this game by double digits. And that's pretty, that's pretty much what I'm expecting.
0: By double digits is definitely a bold call here. I mean, so what is it? I mean, is it kind of what you're seeing statistically? Is it something that you've seen with your eyes watching their games? I mean, what, what's sort of the uh, – what, what is it that's such a selling point about Ohio State?
1: They're just they're the talent on that team. Um, you know, you can have teams that have uh, have great talent on paper, but if there's no chemistry, or you know, a couple of the players aren't getting along with each other, you know, or what, whatever reason it is, they don't perform well. Uh, we've seen that time and time again in the NBA when you get a bunch of superstars together and you expect them to win all their games but 10 and, and something happens and they don't. Um, but I think. I I do believe uh, completely Ohio State has gotten their act together. Um, And their only loss in the last five games has been to Wisconsin, and that was just a clunker, where at that time, you almost thought that, oh, well, they're just reverting back to their normal form of uh, their frustrating season. But then they come back with those two impressive wins, and now they're in position to really make a statement. Um, And if I was Iowa, I don't – even with the talent on that team, I, I don't think I'd want to be facing Ohio State tonight in the situation that they're in.
0: Well, speaking of clunkers, a team that's had a lot of them lately here is Michigan State. I mean, this team, we know that they have a very high ceiling. We know that quite possibly they could have the highest upside here in the Big Ten, but they're really not playing like it right now. They're on the road here to take on Nebraska tonight, and they're laying a pretty good number 12 or 12 and a half as we look out there. Sometimes it can be a buy point a get-right type of game for a team to go on the road and play one of the weakest teams in its conference, but is there any way you could lay a dozen with Michigan State tonight?
1: I I think so, Um, and I'm going to reference uh, basketballreference.com for this. Uh, They have some great ratings, uh, and I compare mine always to just out of curiosity to see where they're at. And they actually have the same uh, power rankings – uh, that I have where Michigan State is actually the top team in terms of their power rating in the conference. and they're playing Nebraska who's number 14 and the worst. Um, so I'm not, I'm not surprised by the the line at all and I, you know clearly the play is Michigan State because they they have to win and they have to win convincingly and there's no uh, slicing and dicing in any other way. Uh, Ohio State uh, they have ranked number two of which that's where I have uh, them as well and <clears throat> then Maryland Penn State Michigan is five uh, Rutgers uh, and then Purdue and Illinois uh, who beat Penn State uh, Tuesday night which was a loss on our uh, our article for the big ten I suggested taking Penn State and uh, Illinois came in there and and just you know, they just played extraordinarily well, and they got the job done. You know, it just reflects how tough this this conference is. There's no gimme wins. Um, with the exception of this game that we're talking about tonight with Michigan State and Nebraska. Um, Nebraska is not going to go anywhere, and Michigan State has everything to play for. Uh, so if I was going to bet that game, I would definitely have a lean on Michigan State.
0: All right. So as we look ahead to Saturday here in the big 10, there are no Friday games in the big 10 this week. I know we've had a few of those here recently. Michigan and Purdue was actually the only game on Saturday. We got four of them coming up on Sunday though. What do you sort of think about that one? I mean, there's been a lot of talk here about Purdue and just some enormous home road splits for this team, but they are getting the Wolverines uh, in West Lafayette here for this one on Saturday.
1: And and I think Purdue will get it done. Uh, The, the, thing i've i've learned from michigan this year is that they defend the perimeter extraordinarily well uh where they're going uh, ryan i thought uh head coach uh you know, juan howard would would have changed it by now is uh they're so prone to the big man uh by defending the perimeter they they, they automatically stretch their defense out and at least the paint open so if you know if you have a a very good uh, a big man that that can go head-to-head with just one defender, it really works against them uh, defensively. So, you know, if they uh, do that lineup again, I think Purdue's just going to keep pounding the paint, pounding the paint, pounding the paint until, you know, submission. I I don't know how else to describe it. It it does blow my mind that they haven't – that Michigan has not tried to uh, adjust the defense to be more efficient against those bigger guys.
0: Well, maybe that's a little bit of the inexperience there of Juwan Howard. Maybe that's something that, you know, we do want to watch here as we go forward, not just for the rest of the regular season, but also once we get to that Big Ten tournament here. But what about Sunday? As we take a look ahead to that one, you've got Penn State, Indiana, Maryland, Ohio State, Rutgers, Wisconsin, Minnesota on the road at Northwestern. Any of those games stand out to you here coming up on February
1: 23rd? Uh, The Penn State, Indiana game, because that's at Indiana, I believe. Um, that is the case, right, Adam? Yes, sir. Yep. So, um, that's, that's going to be a, a, a good test for Penn State to, to bounce back uh, from the Illinois loss at home. Um, and Indiana is one of those teams that they're sitting in 11th right now. Um, I, I would think Penn State's going to be three, three and a half, maybe even four in this game as a favorite. Um, you know, Coach Chambers of, of Penn State has done a rem- a remarkable job for the entire season, but he's extraordinarily good on bounce back type of games, which this is clearly one of them. Uh, so, I, I think Penn State will bounce back with a big uh, showing and a big effort, and they'll they'll come away with the win and ATS win too.
0: All right, so we transition over to the Big East here, where no games tonight, no games on Friday. So, our look ahead here is to Saturday. Marquette and Providence, Villanova and Xavier, Georgetown and DePaul. Your three games here, and as we look at some projected numbers from Bart Torvik, all of these games basically one possession lines here, according to him for Saturday. Any of those three games standing out to you here as we talk a couple days in advance of them?
1: uh Yeah, I'm just pulling up the uh, the schedule here so I can take a, a quick look at them here. Um, the one thing I did want to point out before we get to the specific games is that. The Big East, um, in terms of the power ratings, you know, if you evaluate the teams the way I I do with uh, the math, you have, uh, Creighton as the best. And then you have Seton Hall, Villanova, Butler, and Marquette, all with almost identical power ratings. So the, the fact of the matter is that Seton Hall, uh, barely won last night against Butler. That was actually one of our picks in the Big East article of the week on bang the book. And, um, I really thought Butler before the game started. I had indicated in that article that I thought Butler would would take them down, and for you know ninety percent of the game they did. And problem is that you have to play forty minutes, as we all know, and then Butler uh, allowed them back in, and Seton Hall got an incredibly important win. Uh, but in terms of the uh, you know the the conference, that's one of the reasons why it's so exciting to watch that conference. Not just because they're the third best one in the nation. Behind the Big Twelve and the Big Ten, but every game is is exciting, and they have exciting players. Um, now, let me get to this. Does,
0: does that just? I mean, from that standpoint, does it make it more difficult for you to bet just because you know, the gaps between these teams are so small?
1: Well, I think that's where public sentiment comes into play. Um, in other words, if we have those four teams uh, all equal, and all of a sudden we get a line that is uh, saying five or six, then that's telling us something. That's telling us the story of um, of what the public sentiment is. So as we all know, you, if it's above 70% of the bets are on one team in a matchup like that, then you probably want to make sure that you're on the other side or just not play it, uh, especially this time of year. It's interesting, too, drawing into March Madness, how the, the sentiment flips, at least in my opinion. So we know in football, the public loves favorites. And once in a while, they'll bet a dog, but most of the time, they're they're on the home favorite. In uh in college basketball, it kind of uh, starts out like you take the the Kentuckys, the North Carolinas, which was a disaster this year, but you understand what I'm saying. If you take the top names that uh, they're not going to lose to a, a second tier conference. When you get into the tournament, all of a sudden it's March Madness, and the public loves the dogs, and it. it It just fascinates me that that happens. I have no idea why it happens, but I guess it's because March Madness is, you know, upset after upset after upset. So the the public rightfully uh, takes advantage of that information and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. But um, I think beginning this time of year when we get the, um, especially a road favorite of one of those four teams, uh, playing one of those four teams, if I said that right, that would be a sign to bet that road favorite, uh, because it, it's it's telling us that 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 there's no reason for that to really be there. It should be more like pick 'em. The fact that it's minus three, and you know, thinking of my thought process, if if I think it's pick 'em or my math says it's pick 'em, and the lines three, then the I always assume the lines right. And if I'm off by three, that means the favorite is the team that I want to be on if I have a play.
0: No, that makes a lot of sense, and especially, you know, in a conference like that, and especially, you know, like you said, in the context of getting into conference tournaments, getting into March Madness, things of that sort. So for these three games here on Saturday, Marquette, Providence, Villanova, Xavier, Georgetown, DePaul, any of them that, you know, like you said, that we can expand on a little bit more that you do like?
1: I, I like Villanova, and uh, we've talked about Villanova in the past weeks. This is a time of year that uh, Coach Jay Wright gets his troops uh, organized. I honestly thought last night uh, was actually a premium play for my clients, uh, losing one. Um, the line with DePaul and Villanova looked pretty funny. Um, it was four and a half, five. And you have to scratch your head and think, well, why in the world is Villanova only favored by that little amount? It seems like an automatic home run on Villanova. Like like the sports books were giving you away a bonus. Um but my, my math was on uh, DePaul, but Villanova crushed them. Um, so with that win uh, being so dominant, I, I think it's going to carry over to the, the big game against Xavier. Um, and they'll, they'll come away with a win. And, a, and that's actually a recommended bet uh, on the article. Yeah, I think somehow they'll find a way to win that game. And that, that one, too, could be a double-digit win by Villanova. Uh, they were very impressive last night. Now, Marquette and Providence, um, Marquette is another team uh, that has the potential to win the whole thing. Uh, and Providence is a, a team that you, if you're in the Big East, you don't want to have to go play at Providence. And all you have to do is ask Seton Hall about that uh, just last weekend when Providence knocked them off. Um, they have a tremendous home court advantage and it, and it shows. And they're also on the on the the fringe of being a contender in the in the conference as well. Uh, So that's going to be a really tough uh, game for Marquette to come away with a win. And I think you have to go with uh, the home team again, meaning again, like last week, they took off or knocked off uh, Seton Hall and they're going to do it again this week. So that line, I I think, is going to be closer to uh, pick, which is where Seton Hall was. Uh, I could imagine Providence being even favored by a point or two. Uh, But my lean for right now, is, is on Providence, and then I'll update on the, the Twitter feed um, if it's a premium play, too.
0: And of course, that Twitter feed at John Ryan Sports and the number one. John, last thing I want to ask you about here for this segment today as we transition over to Sunday in the Big East, you mentioned Creighton, a team that you're high on, a team that some of the other rankings and metric systems you use very high on. Looks like they'll be a pretty decent-sized favorite against Butler on Sunday afternoon. Any thoughts on that game?
1: Well, it's a, it's more the same uh, song that I've been singing here for about the last 10 minutes uh, is that, you know, Butler uh, is a very good team in their own right. And there's no gimme win here. Uh, But I do think Creighton is the play here uh, for the simple reason of that. They're the better team, Um, not by leaps and bounds, but they are the better team, both sides of the ball. They're playing well and we're coming down the stretch and you, I think Creighton will, will get it done. And you think they're um, like six or seven-point home favorites, Adam?
0: I think so. That's probably what the range for this line kind of looks like, especially because, you know, again, Creighton, that jump-shooting team, as we've talked about before, you know, th- their numbers just always annually look better at home than they do on the road. So you give them a little bit more home respect here, I think, too.
1: Yep, I agree. And then the the last game, uh, Seton Hall of St. John's is uh, – Seton Hall just has to make sure they don't look ahead, uh, because St. John's has been has been struggling. But we've also seen St. John's stun some teams this year too. Uh, but that's a game where I would have to think Seton Hall be a double digit home favorite uh, over St. John's.
0: A lot of good insights here for the Big East, the Big Ten, and also the NBA. And you can find those same good insights over at BangTheBook.com and the things that John writes for us. But John, your Twitter handle at John Ryan sports and the number one, what's going on over there right now, man.
1: Well, we're, uh, I put up, um, you know, betting systems for free Uh, team trends, uh, put up a, a uh, halftime trend where people can use that for live in-game betting for certain games. Uh, I know it's hard to keep track of, uh, you know, everybody's feed that everybody's following uh, but For the people that do get a hold of the in-game stuff, I I really think that's been valuable um, in addition to the picks. And uh, for the next uh, three days, uh, starting, you know, for those that get to me tonight, I'll I'll start tonight. Uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, we'll uh, do another uh, free session. So you'll get four days of all the free, of all the premium picks for free. Uh, just by uh, direct messaging me on Twitter. And we're going to use my dog's name as the password, which is Manny. So just DM me with Manny uh, and write your email address, your name, and you're you're on board.
0: There you go. Sounds like a great opportunity for this week. Once again, that's at John Ryan Sports and the number one on Twitter. John, appreciate your time as always, man. Thank you so much for joining me and we'll chat with you again next week.
1: You got it, Adam. Have a good one.
0: There you go. There's John Ryan, professional handicapper, contributor to bangthebook.com, and make sure you follow him on Twitter, at JohnRyanSports, and the number one, and use that promo code MANNY over there via DM. Get a look at what John's got from a premium standpoint. Coming up on our Friday edition of Bang the Book Radio, we'll chat Saturday's college hoops card with Greg Peterson, at least in all likelihood. I haven't reached out to him yet, but that should be our first segment there, and then I'll finish up talking some of the college basketball and the NHL spots I like here for this upcoming weekend. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. And I will talk to you again tomorrow.